It's the Empowerment Perspective Podcast, hosted by Demiso Josie and Mr. Kareem Spence. Stay empowered. Welcome to yet another episode of the Empowerment Perspective Podcast. I go by the name of Dr. Demiso A. Josie. We got a house full of people. As always, my man Kareem Spence is in the building. How are you doing? It's early, sir. Man, it is early, and it's still cold outside, man. I don't know if it's going on this April weather. Uh-huh. We also have uh, Jamie Roberts joining us again. How are you doing, lady? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Man, Jamie had a little bet, Kareem. Um, she gave you a 2% chance that you actually would join the show. I said 0% <laughs> yes, early in the morning. So I lost the bet. I'm, I'm surprised you ain't, you're supposed to be my guy, man. You're supposed to ride with me. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. You're right. You're absolutely right. But I thought it would be a little bit too early. Listen, Brian went to go at 8 o'clock in the morning. So I was like, can we push it back to 9? I have a shot if it's 9 o'clock because I don't know. <laughs> you know, you like I, the Listen, I have nowhere to go, so I definitely could have been 8 o'clock. I could have been 3 in the morning if you like. I ain't got nowhere to go. This is true. This is true. So in the previous podcast, we talked to Cherie uh, Lewis, sorry, out there in uh, Dover, Delaware, and she mm-hmm. talked about college planning and things of that nature. How do you guys feel about that episode? I thought the episode went well. I think more importantly, you know, just being able to develop a plan in high school and be able to take that through, you know, your college years is awesome. Um, it's never too early to start having those conversations about college. Um, and more importantly, you know, being able to write your own story. I mean, so you wrote your book, but being able to develop those skills at a young age and be able to tell your story so people will be able to understand you a little bit better. I mean, that's just an awesome process. Yeah, absolutely. Jamie, how do you feel about that uh, episode? I think it's always important for parents to hear how to get their children into the right path um, for college. And sometimes having an outside person help them, um, helps them get there a little faster and a little easier. Awesome, awesome. So again, this this time that we're in right now being quarantined, we've been knocking out podcasts left and right. I think we record a podcast today at this point and we're booked for the next two weeks. Um, so what we try to do here, if you haven't been following us, is bringing you some useful information um, across the, the country, really. Um, so we have people that we talk to in the Midwest trying to get some people in California on board. And we're just trying to bring some useful information to people, um, especially during this day and time that you're, you're in. And we, um, we keep pushing the fact that you need to have a plan and to use this time wisely. Um, so uh, this is one of the things that we're trying to do here on the Empowerment Perspective Group. Um, as many of you know, we're educators. And when you come into the field of education, you uh, develop relationships with people um, and your students. And you kind of, you know, again, we, we are unfortunate in the fact that we can't, our, su- our success isn't really tangible. We won't know if somebody's doing well until um, after the fact. And then um, they come back and they kind of tell us their stories, um, what was going on. And um, this particular person I'm about to introduce was actually a part of our season one uh, um, podcast. He was a, he came on super early um, and he, he shared his story, um, some of his struggles and his successes as well. Um, so I'm welcoming him back to the show. Brian Licata, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I always like uh, doing a podcast with you, Mr. Josie. It's like a little uh, blast from the past. Absolutely. For those of you who don't know, I used to teach TV media and Brian was a student of mine. And I guess he's still using some of the things that I've taught him and, and putting it to good use over there. Is that a fair statement, sir? Ah, it's an extremely fair statement. It, it's actually pretty funny. The I remember how you had TV media one set up in the first semester when it was all book work. And it was just like these basic fundamentals that no one wants to learn, but are absolutely essential to being in film or TV or anything like that. Like, you know, blocking shots out, storyboarding, like all, all the boring stuff that no one wants to learn. But 
uh, that stuff I found extremely useful, like in the in the business that I'm running right now. Got you, got you. So I was blessed to hear Brian's story and and also um, his his story of recovery as well. Um, and through that relationship, um, I was able to meet somebody that is doing some wonderful things in South Jersey. Um, I'm sure beyond South Jersey, um, but he's um, changing lives. And I, I think the two of them are working together to to help a lot of people. And each of them have their own story. Um, I would like to introduce Mr. Ian Koch. How are you doing, sir? Good. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for joining. Super early. I know you've probably been up for a couple hours. It's late. It's late. It's like ha half the day's already over at this point. Y'all <laughs> talking about it's early. I don't know, you know. <laughs> so you're like at lunchtime for you right now. Pretty much. Yeah, I'm ready for second breakfast soon. I got you. Got you. So you guys um, work for and have, uh, I guess, experienced a Surfside Recovery, correct? Yeah, so Surfside Recovery Services, um, is a basically surfside structured sober living is a long-term recovery program for 18 to 35 year old men down here at the jersey shore um we founded in february of 2016 so we just passed our four-year mark um basically it's uh, 14 full-time staff we can max 37 residents across the properties and you know it's a long-term addiction recovery so we typically are specializing in chronic relapsers men only um in that younger adult uh demographic actually before we get to the specifics of that demographic um we're big on um our finding your why and the reason why you do certain things so why was uh surfside developed like why why were you a part of this process so I mean, I got sober in, uh, so March, uh, March 7th, 2005, uh, I finally got sober. I was 23 years old. I'd been arrested nine times to DUIs, felony narcotics charges, seven different mental health di uh, diagnoses. Got sober, uh, happened to get a bachelor's in social work while I was uh, doing all that other stuff. So I was, not only was I a hot mess, but I was also fairly intelligent. Um, <laughs> all at the same time, you know, um, was able to, went back to school, you know, I, I started working in addiction, went back to school, got a master's, became a licensed drug and alcohol counselor and a nationally certified addiction specialist. Was seeing a bunch of different, a bunch of different programs that are ultimately the same model, um, which is this like short term 28 day maybe you can do like a 28 day and then somewhere else for another 30 you know so it's kind of like that's about it um the programs are all based on insurance reimbursement and insurance reimbursement is typically set on a basis of diagnoses and a set of curriculum much like you know a school setting and what a lot of people don't understand is that treatment isn't much more than information and processing so it's as if you gave your students tests and never had any sort of metric to, to determine if they were learning you just like you gave them informa information and they you know talked about that information no sort of metric to determine whether that uh work was being useful so what we did uh is created this program that has measurable goals 
to determine whether someone is is able to uh, potentially be independent and successful on their own. So a massive component is 12-step recovery. Um, there's a vocational component, budgeting, you know, uh, accountability, you know, all sorts of stuff like that. And, and again, we're dealing with guys who, you know, the average age in, in addiction treatment is, is that male population that we deal with. And a lot of these guys can't get out from under their parents, you know, and not that their parents are like suppressing them there, but they just can't thrive as individuals. They can't hold jobs. They can't seem to live on their own. They're constantly going back to mom and dad. You know, they don't know how to cook for themselves, like real cooking. They can like make hot dogs and sandwiches, but you know, like they don't know how to like do real grocery shopping, real cooking, budgeting, none of that stuff is there. And on top of it, they can't stop getting high. So we set up this three phase program that's on average around six months with measurable goals to determine, you know, will this person be able to be successful? Um, so this, the, the process starts for you after the, the person has come out of detox, correct? So then they've already went through that program and that's how they start your program after that? We could get guys in a couple different aspects. Typically it's a 30 day program. Um, depending, depending how many times someone has been to treatment, depending on financial resources, you know, there's a couple different factors, but we could take somebody potentially from straight from detox. If somebody doesn't, if somebody is medically cleared, we could potentially take them from home. Obviously we can't have somebody detoxing, you know, with us and needing, you know, medical attention, but you know, we've had a couple guys who've had, you know, been thrown out of college multiple times for smoking pot and have been arrested. And, um, you know, you don't have to worry about like the physical detoxification for marijuana, uh, in terms of medical consequences. So, you know, in, in that instance, we could take somebody from home. Gotcha. Brian, I'm going to ask you this question. Um, I know a lot of people want help, but they don't necessarily know how to ask for help. Um, if you kind of, I guess, explain your experience a little bit about how um, going from that point, like how did you get to that point where it was like, I now know how to ask for help. And then how did you know that Surfside was the place for you? The way that I, you know, ended up figuring out how to ask for help was by not doing it for an extended period of time. And then you kind of get to this point where, like I, like, I got to this point where I was almost out of options. Um, and the only thing left for me to do was kind of, like, throw out my hands and, and ask somebody. Um, it, it's kind of, that's kind of like a weird question. Uh it's like like hard to answer. I, I think really that's that's kind of what happened with me is like I, I ran so long, like, you know, super headstrong, you know, on my own, like self-will. And, you know, I finally got to a point where, where I realized I couldn't like keep going in the direction I was going. And then with like no, no other answers, you know, kind of just threw my hands up and, and, and reached out. Um, you know, I was really fortunate that I had a, a really good family who supported me, you know, throughout my whole journey. Um, so, you know, I, I got in contact with them and that's how I ended up, you know, going to rehab again and then ultimately going to Surfside. Correct. Now, Ian, your program, um, it's three phases, correct? Or is it, uh, what are the yeah. three phases? Of the yeah. program? Yep. Three phases. Phase one. So we, we have three major components. One is, uh, 12 step recovery. Uh, and, it, and we call it 12 step immersion. 
to basically. How many hours do we have? And <laughs> <laughs> as long as you like. <laughs> so, uh, so we, I want to talk about what twelve step immersion is at some point. But so basically, we do twelve step immersion. Uh, we incorporate adventure based activities, sports, actions, a lot of action sports, and um, then that life development piece, which would be like the accountability, budgeting learning how to be honest, taking care of yourself, keeping your room clean, cooking, et cetera, et cetera. Um, each phase builds on the next phase. So, you know, phase one is steps one through five. Phase two is steps six through nine. Phase three is uh, rest of nine through 12. Phase one, you collect your work history and three references. Phase two, you put together a resume cover letter reference list. You have to pass three mock interviews. And then phase three, uh, you start to work. Um, phase one and two, you have to learn how to budget $50 a month for your garbage, cigarettes, candy bars, whatever. All the main food and activities are covered in, in our costs. So really that 50 bucks is just bullshit money. Um, in phase three, we start to work with you on your bank accounts, your paychecks, you know, getting you organized in terms of back bills, credit card debt, things of that nature. Okay, you want to get a car, let's start putting money away for a car and, and really starting to look at that. You know, my philosophy on budgeting is that budgeting is learning how to allocate the money you have, right? Our guys come in with the philosophy of budgeting, which is when you run out of money, you ask parents for more. I want to pause you right there and look at Kareem and, and, and talk about um, why aren't we teaching these basic fundamental life skills within an educational setting? Um, obviously, these these people they have not learned these simple things. Um, is there something that we can address in the educational setting before um, that particular point? Uh, that's that's a that's a complex question, and and part of that is that we're so busy trying to teach other behaviors like. Even with my school year this year, I have parents that requested me to help teach their kids how to make friends in eighth grade. So if you want to talk about being able to budget money, I can't even get to the economic piece when they don't even have the basic social skills to be able sure. to walk up and be able to introduce themselves and, and have appropriate conversation. Um, I think a lot of that stuff is just really just gets overlooked. Like, Well, what's fascinating, Kareem, uh, mm -hmm. about what you're saying, so our 12-step immersion. Mm -hmm. so, so, And recently, there were some articles in the New York Times. I wrote about it years ago that 12-step recovery is really, if, if you're an addict and you can buy into 12-step recovery, that is going to be your best chance for long-term success. Mm -hmm. And the evidence is in. It's just it's the way it is. However, 12-step recovery is founded on a principle of me walking up to you, looking at you and saying, hey, I need your help. Mm -hmm. That is a lost art, mm -hmm. right? You're talking about eighth graders who can't walk up to somebody and make a friend, right? We're in a day and age where you can swipe right or left and then mm -hmm. go have sex with that person that night. Like that mm -hmm. is so foreign of a concept that like now, so now to take somebody who's vulnerable Right, mm -hmm. which is like our guy who can't stay sober, or your eighth grader who feels uncomfortable. It's the same insecurity. 
and have them walk up to somebody else and say, hey, can we be friends? Because that's ultimately mm -hmm. what you're asking, right? Mm -hmm. So, go ahead. So, our 12-step so immersion, right, is we do a lot of those handoffs, right? So, so we start to get these guys and hand them people to talk to. We, we say, like, hey, look, we're going to introduce you to what to these three different guys who could potentially be your sponsor. Right? Mm -hmm. It's a little bit easier for us because we're dealing with guys now who maybe are emotionally 12, 13, 14, but, you know, are actually in their 20s or 30s where you're dealing with, you know, the 12 and 13 year olds who, you know, they, they're so uncomfortable in their own skin. Mm -hmm. It's so much easier to just hide and look at the cell phone and flip and get lost in whatever's happening there. You don't need to actually have that human interaction, which is... We thrive right. in human interactions, mm -hmm. quite honestly. Jamie, Jamie, I want to pull you into the conversation from a teacher's perspective. Like, what are some of the things that you can do within your classroom to help with that those basic uh, relationship building things that obviously we were, we were talking about? It. I think that during the school day, we focus so much on the curriculum that it's hard to find extra time to help students with social skills. So inviting students back into your classroom during lunchtime and, and having them bring a friend or having other students there for them to talk to is important so that they can learn how to create friendships outside of the academic setting. Mm -hmm. I get it. Now, Brian, some of the things that I tried to teach when you were in the class, like to me, it was more about life skills. It wasn't about TV media. TV media was just a vehicle that I tried to, to teach you some life skills, like, you know, being on time and um, handling the basics and stuff like that. Um, I guess, do you feel like your education experience, like, did you learn those things that we were talking about in terms of socialization? Was that something that, you know, you kind of learned on or forced to learn outside of the educational setting? Yeah, I think it was a, a mix of both. I mean, my, my mom is a very social person and I come from a really big family. So a lot of like social interactions and stuff like that um, happened in the family setting. But, uh, you know, I remember in your class and, and really the nature of like, uh, you know, shooting videos or anything like that like it's they're, they're group projects um and i learned a lot about like teamwork and collaboration and stuff like that i mean even just doing you know the morning announcements or working with uh you know tj bryson and sean mcbride on, on on different projects like i remember just the three of us you know working with each other having to you know you got three people with different ideas and then you kind of just got to pick the best and then you know turn them into turn them into a project so i, I think i learned a little bit in, in both places. Got you. Now, um, when I think about, you know, uh, recovery, I think about um, overcoming uh, adversity and, and being able to, because um, life's going to come at you and you're going to have those peaks and valleys. Um, how's your program ad addressing those moments where, um, let's say I'm in the program and now I'm starting to, to, to hit a a tough spot i can't find a job or you know no one's hiring me um like what are some strategies some things you guys do ian over there to kind of help uh people overcome these adversities brian why don't you answer that yeah um so i think like the, the single you know other than like the actual step work the single biggest thing for me is like the fellowship <laughs> in, in the community aspect um like i have a i have a friend of mine who um is always struggling to get a job right and me and him just talk about it like all the time you know it's it's you know he'll call me sometimes he'll just go on a rant for 10 minutes about something we hang up the phone sometimes we actually have like you know fluid conversation back and forth or i'll, I'll call him and it, it, it's really about 
to me, finding people that I can like lean on in you know times of struggle, and then and then vice versa, and and that really that really does it for me. How is Brian? How from like a perspective the perspective of you know when you came from rehab into Surfside, like did it take you a long time to adjust? I mean, what what's your experience of like? Because I could say what I think, but like, what was your experience of being a resident and then watching other residents come in while you were a resident? Um, Like, did it, was it like going to a new school? Like, what was that like? Yeah. So by the time I got to Surfside, I'd been through a couple different treatment centers. So like a (laughs) hundred. Yeah. I think it was like 15 or 12 or something like that. Um, So at that point I wasn't like that, that part didn't bother me. You know, I could come in and I could adjust pretty quickly to, to anything. But, you know, if I look back on like the first couple of times I went through, like it was, it, it was, it was really hard. And I think as like a, as like an addict, you, you, you kind of wear this, this mask and, you know, part of that mask is being like super, super adaptable. So, you know, I've always found myself pretty easily able to like adjust any situation I'm in. I, I think that's one of the, I don't know if you want to call it a defense mechanism or um, really like a, like a skill set you have is uh, being an addict is, is like, you can, you can adjust to your env- environment uh, pretty quickly. Um, but it's, it, it, I think that the thing I may have struggled with more was, um, you know, figuring out how to actually initially ask for, for help for that first time, which is kind of what I was talking to before. Like I had to, get to a point where I was broken down and out of options in order to be able to do that. I think Surfside, unlike a lot of the programs that I've seen, is is we've done a really good job of, like if you don't want to get well, if you're not interested in being a part of this community, then you gotta go. Um, we realize that there's a financial cost that can be potentially a burden to families. Um, And I'm not willing to have the family take the consequence of their son who's being a pain in the ass. So yes, we work with guys who are struggling. You don't have to be a rock star in any sense of the word. Um, But eventually enough is enough. You know, and eventually it's like, all right, you don't want to be here. We'll put you on a bus. We'll send you back from to wherever you, you were. Um, because it's it becomes a danger to everybody else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we do that. So, right. So I worked in treatment for about uh, 13 years, addiction treatment for about 13 years before we opened Surfside. So I've seen, and I've worked in all different aspects, methadone clinics, intensive outpatient, residential, I've done family interventions, individual counseling, you name it. And in the residential type settings, there's typically so many people that um, are there not necessarily because they want to get sober or they just want to get the heat off their back. And we're dealing with a generation So there was a a Catholic monk by the name of Thomas Merton. And Thomas Merton said, um, the one thing I need more than happiness is approval. Yet my need for approval destroys my capacity to be happy. And what we're seeing, uh, and I'm sure you guys see it quite honestly just as much, is, is kids 
will to they will go somewhere where they think they're fitting in even though it's not in their best interest so what will happen is in treatment let's say there's three guys that appear to be cool you know they make jokes they talk about all the pretty girls they don't really take it serious but they're kind of cool and they've got the jordans and they're funny and and then there's this like other guy you know is he going to be the guy who's like, oh, I can't wait to get out of here and get a sponsor and I'm going to really work the 12 steps and try to find a relationship with a higher power? You know, he's got to live with them for 30 days, you know? And so it's like what will happen is these guys who are very impressionable and vulnerable will, will go to the group that doesn't necessarily want real recovery. We won't allow that. Right. So we've flipped that whole script. So if you don't want to if you don't want to get well and you don't want to use this as an opportunity to get your head out of your ass, excuse my language. But if, if you really don't want to move and do something different, you got to go. Like, we're just not we're not going to play this game. Like, come back later. And and Brian knows, like, we've had guys who who've, we've said, look, go beat it. You yeah. know, and then they've come back and they've done awesome. Um it sounds to me that you're, we're talking about finding your true authentic self. And I want to, mm -hmm. I guess, talk to Kareem about this a little bit more on, you know, from middle school level um, and how mm -hmm. we get young people to, to really be their true authentic self. Because, I, I mean, at this point in our lives, you know, we are who we are and, you know, mm -hmm. we move exactly how we move and we're comfortable in our skin. But as a young person trying to develop uh, that basic skill, like what are some of the things that we can get these young people to, to realize that, you know, it's better and it, it, how to accept themselves as for who they are. Man, and that's, that's the difficult part because for the longest time, most of our youth that we work with, they're being told what to do. They're being told who they should hang out with, which activities they should participate in. So they don't get the opportunity to become individuals until they get to that 10th, 11th grade high school year. And by that time, and like Brian said, they go into, you know, people pleasing. And that's to piggyback off what Ian is saying, is that now they're they're gravitating to the people that's getting the most attention. And they're engaging into activities that these other people are getting into because they think it's the cool thing to do. And before they know it, not only do they have the emotional damage, now they have, you know, substance abuse issues that they're dealing with because they're engaging in alcohol, they're engaging in other type. Now we have like pills that they're engaging to. So you know, they haven't been able to have those conversations with like with parents to be able to guide them because parents are here to be able to guide our children in the direction that they're supposed to go. Is it as is it as simple as not to cut you off, is it as simple as them not getting the attention from other sources and this is where they're looking to to get their attention from? Well, let's 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 take athletes, for instance, right? Let's say that you show up to the field one day and you're not the very best athlete. Right. But your dad and your mom is pushing you and they're pushing you and they're pushing you and they're putting all this undue pressure on because you're not this megastar. You're not just naturally gifted in the youth leagues. So now what happens is that they start to pair you with someone that is. And now when you see the the mental health of this particular person who has been able to just continue to adjust and adapt to the environment, they start taking on different type of behaviors that other people are into. And that's the danger, because if you want someone to become an individual, then you have to allow them to grow. But if you're going to continue to pair me with people and compare me to people, mm -hmm. now I'm seeking approval. So now I have to go on and do things that typically I wouldn't do. Mm -hmm. 
and we see we get a lot because we have like you know our day is geared around like action sports and activities like we get a lot of athletes you know guys who've like played ball in high school maybe even in college um and they're lost like Mm -hmm. they're so lost you know and they're all tough guys they don't know how to be vulnerable um you know, we we actually got a guy fairly recently. Um, so we do CrossFit three times a week. And, you know, we got this guy who is like superstar baseball player, really likes working out, real strong looking. Um, we go to the gym and, you know, and I'm teaching the guys how to do power cleans. And, you know, we're starting out. And then I say, like, let's start with, you know, lightweight, 65 pounds, not a big deal. Well, he wants to go right to 95, which still isn't very heavy. And I said, look, relax, relax. Well, the guy tries to do 95 pounds. He falls back on his butt. And basically he quits because he can't be the best. Hasn't come back since. Mm. Now, mind you, the, the guy has the strength to lift that weight. Doesn't have the skill. But because mm-hmm. he's not immediately the best and he's so used to being the best, right, his ego can't handle that. So instead mm-hmm. of like even trying and like starting at the bottom rung, right, and working your way up the ladder, he's he doesn't have the capacity at the moment to start at that bottom rung. And, and, and yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned ego because I, I have a lot of friends that have gone through the recovery recovery stage, and a lot of time it is that ego. Yeah, people tend to believe that it can't happen to me. No, I would never, ever be addicted. So even when I'm doing like counseling and we're doing career counseling, no one has ever said to me, hey, Mr. Spence, I'm going to be a drug addict. <laughs> never, not once. Not one person has ever mentioned that. But when you see them 15, 20 years, you'll see that they have been through all different types of struggles of life. And that was one of their coping mechanisms. Yeah. And when you ask them, well, how did you get here? Oh, well, you know, such and such. That's who I was hanging out with, you know, and eventually one thing led to the next. And before I knew it, the psychological dependency on the substance was just there. And I just couldn't yep. stop. Yeah. I mean, it just kind of blows my mind with all the this day and age with all the information that's out there. And we know the harmful effects of all the stuff that's coming out there that, you know, people are still partaking in these things. And I get it. It's probably more of a mental. Uh, nah, well, think of it this way. So. And it's so like it's so interesting, you guys being like middle school teachers, because I feel like, in theory, I have a, a how you know thirty five middle schoolers. Uh, <laughs> they just happen to be thirty. Uh, if you so, if you think about this in developmentally, between like what twelve to fourteen, the person developmentally starts to um, try to figure out who they are as a person, mm-hmm. and. And teachers and parents usually are not, quote unquote, cool. And the teacher and the parent is saying, don't smoke pot, don't do drugs, definitely don't do pills. But the doctor is saying, take these pills, take these pills, take these pills, take these pills. So eventually what happens is somebody, you know, in the ages of 12 to 14, they try one, whether it's it's a, a hit of the joint smoke a little pot, have a sip of a beer, whatever it may be, take a pill, and nothing bad happens. And that's the problem, mm-hmm. that nothing bad happens. Because the moment nothing bad happens, and they're already trying to figure out who they are, they already don't think their parents and health teachers and teachers are cool. So right there at the moment when nothing bad happens, internally they say, see, 
you all lied to me again. Mm-hmm. You just want me to do what you want me to do. This is really BS. So then they have another one. And nothing bad happens again. In fact, they giggle a little bit, maybe have an extra snack after school. You know what I mean? Like, it's kind of fun. Laugh a little bit. Again, nothing bad happens. So they have another one. Right? And and every time they have another one and another one and another one and nothing bad happens, right? They start to build the addiction. They start to put a bigger divide between the people who really do know that this can be problematic. And before you know it, you've developed a legitimate problem. And, you know, cause very, very rarely does someone say, I want to go use fentanyl. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's always like a pill, a joint, a beer, glass of wine, something like, that. you know, it's, it's very rare that someone's just like, well, I feel like I'm going to try fentanyl and shoot fentanyl today. Like it doesn't work like that. Right. So what advice would you give parents? I mean, at this point, because uh, I know there's parents that say um, the kids are 15, 16, and they say it's okay to have a glass of wine um, at that age, and they're sitting down at the dinner table, and a 15 or 16-year-old is, is having a glass of wine. Um, is it is it should the approach, is it a better approach to be like, well, you have to be able to do these things responsibly, or you should just stay away from these things completely? Well... So right now, studies are showing that giving a five-year-old a cell phone is the equivalent to opening up the liquor cabinet to a 14-year-old, like the effects it has on the brain. So we're already, by that point, like by the time we get to the parent saying it's okay for one, like we're already like way, way, way gone. I think there, there is a level of boundaries tough love, yet uh, parents remembering that they're parents, right? They're not buddies um, Mm -hmm. that they need to navigate that quite honestly, I don't, I mean, I don't want children, so I don't want to have to navigate that. (laughs) Um, And there's, there's no like one answer. The best thing I can say is that like, if it's getting out of control and if it's causing problems, Right. And I use the word problems loosely because everybody has a threshold of what problems look like. Um, Reach out to someone who's licensed in addiction and get some information, you know, and maybe start to work around some boundaries and start to go from there. And, um, you know, that's that's the best thing you can do is is don't be afraid to go to professionals. I think addiction is a funny industry where. You know, it's it's one of the only life-threatening, fatal, progressive illnesses that the professionals are often blown off. You know, parents often think that they can do better than the professional, um, which to me is insane. You know, like if your loved one had, if your kid had cancer, you wouldn't take your kid home and say, you know what, we're going to keep this within our house. We, we can handle this better. You know, if your kid was a diabetic or had heart disease or anything, right? Like you would immediately get your kid to the professional. But this is one of those illnesses where it's like, you know, your kid's smoking pot and you don't want everyone, anyone to know. You know, your kid just got kicked out of school and you don't want to tell anybody. Um, hmm. It's interesting. I guess it's kind of more of the stigma of the family than than anything else. Um, uh, I guess that's why these parents are, are not seeking the help that they need um early 
Um, Jamie, I want to bring you in, just wanted to touch from a parent's perspective, because we talked about, um, or Ian talked about kind of towing the line between being a parent and kind of being that friend. And I know a lot of parents uh, uh, are struggling with that um, for various reasons, uh, especially if they went through, let's say, a divorce or whatever. I know plenty of people that have gone and uh, are trying to overcompensate and be friends and not necessarily the parent. How as a parent, how do you balance, or how will you know when to balance you know, it's time for me to be the parent versus, I guess, for lack of a better word, being a friend. So I do have an 18 year old um, and she has uh, gone out there and tried things that I found out about afterwards. So I think that, um, you know, from a parent's perspective, you have to be real about what's happening. So is she going to go out there and experiment? Probably. Does she have to come home and have someone to give her information and knowledge about what she's doing and when she should be doing it? And is it the right thing to do? Yes. So I think that it's important to be a parent, but I think that we also have to remember that we were 18 at one point too. And some of the things that they, our children are going to do are things that we've also done. So you, you have to be understanding from that perspective as well. You have to almost put yourself in their shoes and, and still be a parent, but understand why they're doing what they're doing and how you can kind of guide them in the right direction. Now, Brian, um, you mentioned you've been through several recovery programs. What makes Surfside different than the ones you've experienced? Yes, yeah, I, I think, you know, first and foremost, the key was I finally got broken enough to a point where I was willing to, to change. Um, and I think what really made Surfside different for me is like what, what Ian was talking about. Like there was no room for nonsense whatsoever. Like if you weren't into it, like you were out. Um, and it, it wasn't even so much as it would, you know, come from, you know, the staff that you were out, but, you know, the, us as peers and, and, and roommates kind of policed each other. Like that was like the first thing I noticed when I walked in the door was how clean the place was. Like most of the time these sober living homes are maybe not in a good neighborhood or they're not kept very well, you know, stuff is kind of pieced together. When I got to Surfside, it looked like a home, you know, like it was like a place that I wanted to live at. And, you know, one of the, the other things I noticed is that um, when we were just hanging out, like some of the guys were talking about like what step they were on or what they were doing with their sponsor or something like that. And I had never been in an environment prior that was like that. Um, so re really from, you know, day one like i kind of wanted to do better and get through the steps in order to like be able to make friends with the people who, who were there um so it, it was really just because everyone else was kind of doing the right thing like i was more inclined to um and this is kind of stuff we were talking about earlier in the show too like you know the places i was at you know people were you know messing around and doing the wrong thing so i kind of you know navigated that way but when i got to surfside everyone was was trying to do right so I think that's what made made the big difference. Yeah. So, so Brian, let, let me ask. So, do you, do you think that if the climate of Surfside would have been different, that you would have a, I want to say, a positive experience, or would you've been able to make it through uh, recovery? If yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um, you know, the only thing I can really do is kind of look back on the other places that 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 I was in, and um, you know, the other places I, I was at, I was probably part of part of that problem too. Um, mm -hmm. You know part of that negative energy. Um, but, you know, I, I guess it also goes to, you know, the old, the old saying is like, you know, you are, you know, you are what you attract. I mean, I think I was, you know, kind of broken enough and in, in the headspace that I wanted to do right. So that's, that's probably why I navigated towards those other guys who were, who were doing the same thing. 
Mm. So the reason I bring that up, Miso, because I think about like the school and the, the climate and culture of the school. So when Ian is talking about not having any type of nonsense, and he set the tone for his entire um, staff and for the residents, I don't think that happens too often in a school setting, where so the tone is set day one. So when everybody comes in, they know what the expectations are. So even with the classroom setting, day one, that we're not going to tolerate this type of behavior, and then you get total buy-in from everyone in the classroom. Now when abnormal creeps in, the residents or even the students are saying, listen, that's not what we do here. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're, 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 say it. you don't have to say it, I'll say it. Your problem is the parents, because the parents can't ever get through their head that it might actually be their kid who's the parent mm -hmm. but. Oh, I think they—they're teaching their kids now. I think they. <laughs> by the time we get them, right? Mm -hmm. By the time we get them, they realize their kid is a pain in the butt. You, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and, and you know, so it's like you guys are stuck. I, I have a buddy, real close friend. He works in it uh, in Atlantic City, and you know, the stuff he works with fifth graders in Atlantic City, and the stuff he tells me about is unbelievable. And the shit that these parents are saying. Like, you know, he's got like a hundred percent proof that this kid did X, Y, or Z. And the parents like, that's not my kid. My kid would never mm -hmm. do that. Mm -hmm. You know, and like way crazier than like anything, you know, all I did in fifth grade was smuggle a pot, like, you know, way crazier than, than that type of stuff, like punching kids and spraying mace and, you know, like all sorts of nonsense. And, you know, it's like, it, the whole system is really uh, disconnected. You know, mm -hmm. it's like, your your industry, my industry. I mean, we're we're tasked with raising uh, and keeping society healthy. Mm -hmm. You know, that's that's our job ultimately. And yeah. you know, my my outreach team, we sent out uh, forty. I think it was like forty three bouquets of flowers to different treatment professionals this last week, with a card that said, "You're an unsung hero," because we get a lot of this. Uh, you know, especially these types of teachers. Thank you to the police. Thank you to the firefighters. You know, thank you to the doctors. Thank you to the nurses. Yet, all the mental health workers still have to go to work. All mm -hmm. the mental health workers are going to have to clean up this whole nonsense when everybody's done and, and has developed different mental health diagnoses from the traumas of what this is about to create. You know, and it's like, so we just continuously get our asses handed to us. Um, yeah, you know, and, and, and we and have criticized and criticized throughout, you yeah. know, different professionals. All they do is say that yeah. we don't do this and we're not doing yeah. that, and and we're we're the the problem. Um, and it's, and it's difficult. So even what like, let's say that um, we have a kid that has a a diagnosis. Let's say he's receiving accommodations in school, right? We're actually. I want to say handicapping him because by the time he gets to high school, he can barely read, he can barely write, he can barely even process information. And now he has no other choice but to start gravitating to, I want to say, abnormal behaviors for society. Sure. And mm -hmm. now what happens is that now he's at Surfside. Now Ian has to break him down with the assistance of Brian. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm thinking about the educational system and how un we're at an unfair advantage um, because. Mm -hmm. Even from a systematic standpoint, like you have 
kids that are coming from different types of environments at home, all into one classroom. So the equivalent mm -hmm. would be like, you're trying to build this car. There might be a Ferrari part. There might be a pencil mm -hmm. part. There might be you know, a Volkswagen part. We're trying to put these pieces together and they're getting criticized, well, the car's not running. Of course, mm -hmm. the car is not running because <laughs> how to make this thing you know, work together. So uh, when we talk about building culture and climate, um, the, the hard part for the educators is that, yes, you can have this culture and climate, but over 90% of those students are not going to fit right into that culture and climate because of what they've experienced out you know, in their own personal lives. So we're mm -hmm. kind of at an unfair advantage from the educational standpoint on trying to get all these people to move into one collective unit. Um, but I'll switch gears a little bit. You know, I want to talk about, because you had brought up the current situation um, right now. How is it affecting what you do at Surfside, knowing people are quarantined and there's people out there that obviously still need help? I mean, it's an operational nightmare. Um, there's really no other way to say it, you know. Uh, we've got a whole bunch of guys who've tried to kill themselves and can't. So, you know, for them to understand that this is serious, they're like, what do you mean? It's the flu. Like, big deal. Um, you know, we've had to alter some of phase two a little bit. Um, we've had to isolate the houses. Uh, you know, we used to interact very much with all the houses amongst the community. Um, but we've had to kind of separate some of that to keep within you know, some of the social distancing guidelines and things of that nature. Um, you know, our phase one guys, not a lot has changed from them. I mean, all the 12 step meetings are shut down. So, you know, meetings have all gone on to Zoom and in-house meetings and things like that. Phase one guys, it's not so much different. The phase two guys uh, are working earlier than they should have been. They should be working in phase three. A lot of our guys are working at grocery stores right now. Um, you know, I mean, we're doing what we can do, you know, ultimately treatment centers are still open. You know, people can still get help if somebody needs help getting to a treatment center or something like that. They can get a hold of us. Uh, we work with families around the country to, to help them find adequate resources because not uh, not every place is built the same. Um, and how can people get in contact with you? Uh, they can go to the website and email through there, which is surfside.org, um, or they can call me directly, which would be 609-709-0244. Um, you know, and it doesn't have to be for a young adult. It could be for a male, woman, old, young, nothing. Get to where they need to be. I think um, one of the things too is that a lot of people are not looking at is the back end of this. Even from you know your industry, our industry, um, there's a lot of things that are going to happen on the back end of. And I was talking to you, Brian, off air a little bit about this from an educational standpoint is um, the fallout once everything gets to the, the new normal. Um, there's a lot of things that's going to um, be really interesting um, in both of our fields. I think we're going to get flooded. I think we're going to be overwhelmed by a lot of stuff. Uh, and just in terms, of, I guess, Jamie, from a teaching perspective, um, like, what do you foresee the back end looking like for you? And then Kareem, I'll go to you and then I'll uh, wrap it up from an administrative standpoint. I think that um, I hope that eventually we get back into school. Um, but when we do, it's almost like retraining an animal. We're going to have to start from the beginning. We have kids that have sat at home that have woken up at two and three in the afternoon that have done nothing all day and we're expecting them to come back into school at 720 and start 
just like nothing's happened. So it's almost like we're going to have to take a few months to start over and retrain students into being in the school environment and acclimating them back into a school schedule. Kareem, how about you? Uh, man, it's going to be it's going to be hectic um, because now parents had the opportunity to really take a look at their kids. Um, they're probably realizing that they have a lot of deep rooted issues and the counseling department, even the counseling professional is now probably going to be overwhelmed um, with the number of referrals that's going to come in. Um, and that's just with the youth now, as far as the parents, man, it's going to be a lot of breakups. I'm going to be honest with you. Being stuck in the house with your spouse for, you know, 45 days, it's going to be a lot of breakups and it's going to be a lot of babies that come in December. I can tell you that now. So we have both sides of, of, of the scope. Um, but this this new normal of trying to get back to a regular routine, like Jamie said, is, is going to be tough for all schools. Um, but I definitely foresee um, the counseling department and the schools being overwhelmed with a number of parents calling um, because now they actually had to stop and take a look at their kids and be able to see, you know, some uh, weaknesses that they may have um, emotionally um, and even with like the, the social interactions. Uh, they probably really getting a chance to know their kid now. They're probably not liking what they see and, and probably going to have to reach out and get a little bit more help. Gotcha. I think we're going to see a lot of anxiety of the actual transitioning back into social spaces and things, especially mm -hmm. from younger people. So I think we're going to see that. Um, from an administrator standpoint, um, there's a whole lot of stuff on the back end that we can't even imagine from uh, tenure to contracts to vacation days, sick days, um, not even... Mm -hmm touching academics. I mean, there's so many things that we're going to have to focus on. Uh, I did tell Brian, I said, the one good thing I think will happen is that there should be no such thing as snow days from here going. <laughs> That's a good thing. Technology, so we should be good with that. So um, it's, it's good. So we're going to wrap this particular podcast up. Brian, I want you to um, just touch on uh, how Surfside has changed your, your life. Yeah, I mean, I think first and foremost, it, it, it gave me this level of accountability that I can now carry over, um, you, you know, other than, you know, obviously helping me, you know, get and stay off the drugs. Um, it really kind of turned me into like a functioning adult. Um, you know, I was talking to Ian yesterday um, just about like the, the financial state that I, I finally got myself in, you know, like I'm not you know, trying to figure out how to rob Peter to pay Paul for things anymore. Um, you know, I can, you know, go out to dinner with my girlfriend. I can, you know, take a vacation and I can do all this stuff, um, you know, for myself that I wasn't able to do before. Um, you know, I got my family back in my life. You know, I, I, I'm on good terms with, you know, my brother, his wife, he's expecting a baby in a couple months, you know, I'll get to be a part of, part of that kid's life. Um, it, it really just goes like on and on. I mean, it, it, gave me the ability to do whatever I really want to do in my life. You know, that's kind of the, the, the topic of conversation um, I had with Ian is I'm kind of at a little bit, I wouldn't say a crossroads, but, you know, I got some decisions to make about what direction I want to, you know, continue on, on going in my career. And, you know, even having the ability to be able to choose what I want to do instead of, you know, it just being like, I have to wake up, I have to go to work, I have to get high. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's really unbelievable in that, in that aspect. Awesome. Ian, any last words in regards to um, anyone that's out there that might be looking for help? Um, not really. I mean, reach out, you know. Don't be afraid to, like, call somebody, 
people can always call us. Um, you know, make sure make sure that if, if you are asking for help and talking to someone that you're asking um, what their credentials are and if they're in a position that they can actually give you that. Jamie, any last words for you? No, if you need help, ask for help. <laughs> Kareem. Well, I know typically, you know, we'll have a little bit of fun and, you know, we'll go into, you know, rather not if people are petty. But I think that anytime we're talking about something as serious as uh, mental health and something as serious as substance abuse, um, you know, it's no time to be petty. That's the time that you need to humble yourself and say, you know what, I, I really do need to get my life back in order and I need to reach out to um, licensed professionals and get into the right environment that's going to help. Um, I know that Brian said that Surfside was good for him and the other treatment plan or treatment programs wasn't um, as effective. You know, everybody knows that right fit. Similar to what we were talking about on the other podcast, you have to know which fit is going to be good for you. Um, but yeah, my, my last words is really is not to be petty about this. And if, you know, your life is out of control, just reach out to somebody and get some help, right? There's going to be mental health counseling, right? It's going to be, um, I want to say, relationship counseling um just get some counseling find somebody you can talk to so that you can get your life back in order absolutely. no time to be petty about that absolutely and uh, we talked about using this time wisely um being quarantined um mm -hmm. now's the time to ask for help i mean you have you have there's still resources out there there's there are ways to get in contact with people um it's it's really time it's, it's, you can't wait for t until tomorrow so now mm -hmm. You to you know if you struggle with something or if you, you just have some questions and you want to be educated on some things, use this time wisely. Um, and we talked about this in previous podcasts. And um, in terms of using this time to to plan for what's going to happen to the, with the new normal. Mm -hmm. if, if part of that process is getting someone help that you love or maybe yourself, now's the time to make sure that that happens. Um, you, you know, you're given this time to to. to you know, to do just that. So, um, Brian and Ian, we definitely thank you for being on. It's definitely an important topic. Um, you know, you're doing some great work out there. Um, so keep up that. You're saving lives. Mm -hmm. you know, and, and Brian, and it's, it just warms my heart to, to know that, you know, you, you're in the space that you are in right now. And, um, you, know, you know, you know how we, you know, our relationship is. So, and I definitely appreciate you being a part of my life and seeing you, um, do things because your motivation to me as well. Um, and it is possible to, um, you know, be at, you know, technically rock bottom and come out of it and, and do wonderful things. So I'm definitely proud of you about that. Um, so anyone that's out there again, please, uh, if you need help, make sure you do it. Um, if you want to get in contact with us at the Department Perspective, we make sure we hook you guys up with Surfside or any other uh, facilities, the resources that we have, because we have a, a lot of them um, as well. So, um, just you know, continue to to work to be better. So, um, till next time, stay in power. <laughs>